This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, Georgia State football will be looking to get off the schneid by beating an Appalachian State program they've never beaten before. And on the basketball side of things, yes, we'll be talking about the Panthers' loss to Belmont, but it's not all bad news. Before we dive into this week's games on the home front, though, let's take a look back at the conference picture in our Sun Belt Roundup. First up, on Thursday, South Alabama traveled to Troy and lost to the Trojans by a score of 28-10. to On Saturday, Arkansas State hosted Louisiana, defeating the Raging Cajuns 37-17. to Coastal Carolina traveled up to ODU and beat the Monarchs 28-24. to Southern Miss hosted Louisiana Monroe and beat the Warhawks 24-7. to And Texas State is going bowling for the first time in program history after beating Georgia Southern in San Marcos 45-24. to But this isn't the first time they were eligible. First time eligible for the Bobcats would have been in 2014 when they went 7-5 and on the season but were not selected. And then finally... Marshall traveled up to App State and lost to the Mountaineers 31-9. Mountaineers looking uh, to reach bowl eligibility this upcoming weekend against Georgia State. But gentlemen, thoughts on the Sun Belt slate this past week? Yeah, I mean, I know that we say this literally every week, and we're not going to stop saying it until it becomes false. I just can't get a read on this conference, man. Like, last weekend wasn't necessarily the craziest weekend, but think back to a month ago. Coastal looked like they were just in some deep trouble. Bowl eligible, now currently second place. Um, well, a, a first, second, you know, don't tell James Madison fans, but they're four and two in the Sunbelt East. Uh, they have two admittedly tough Sunbelt games remaining. You know, some questions as starting quarterback because Grayson McCall's help is still not where it needs to be. I think I just saw that he's going to be out this week versus Texas State. I don't think he's going to be back. Like, I think they just keep yeah. rolling it. But the verbiage, like when Tim Beck is talking about it, when he's talking about the family needs to make a decision, that doesn't sound like a QB that's going to be playing competitively this season. And exactly. maybe it's more of a hope of him doing it again at some point. Exactly. Um, but I mean, they they've rattled off four straight wins. You know, they could go to the Sunbelt Championship game at this point um, elsewhere around the league. I think we Marshall has definitely seen some better days, at least this season specifically. Very play free fallen by Tim uh, Tom Petty. <laughs> Got blown up by an app team that I think we both are a little bit on the fence about in terms of how good they are. Um, you know, Louisiana, I feel bad for the Louisiana Arkansas State game because Louisiana starting quarterback got hurt, I think, uh, in the halfway through the third quarter. They were still, so um, I was going to say something about this. They were they still were down. down. Yeah, they were out of it. Like, it wasn't a story of like, like, I guess, local example, when Dan Ellington got hurt, that changed the trajectory of that game into ULM entirely. They were already down at that point by 10, and Arkansas State had already showed up to play. And so it isn't like, oh, they lost a quarterback, and that's why they lost this game. Like, Arkansas State was taking care of business to a large degree, and then that just kind of went, well, they aren't going to come back now, which absolute bummer of an injury. Chris has been one of the more exciting players to watch in this league, and it definitely, like, I don't think anyone was going to project anyone but Troy to make the West, especially after they won against South Alabama and got a little separation and Louisiana lost. But now you're especially, like, they're through everyone but Louisiana who now won't have their starting quarterback. Like, it, you say we don't know much. I think we know that the Troy runs the West and they don't have a lock on the title game yet, but, like, in all but reality they do. Like, it hasn't been clinched and i don't think they can clinch it until next week unless like a lot of things line up in this set of games but like it's over it's true yeah. Troy, Troy it's, it's it's very over they've given up 49 points in conference play that's stupid they're they've played five games um and then you know just kind of rounding out the rest of the games i not sorry not even the games but just kind of looking at the standings i mean it's another week it's another couple of sunbelt teams that are going to go bowling right now in the conference as a total there's 14 teams you know i'm going to include james madison just because they're nine and oh 
there's some stuff that is higher level than this podcast. Not even going to, you know, not worth discussing. But for the purposes of this, James Madison, Coastal has six wins. Georgia Southern has six wins. App State has three chances to get to six wins. Georgia State has six wins. Old Dominion has a tougher road to get to six wins. But, you know, they are two wins away. Marshall, two wins away. Troy already has six wins. Texas State already has six wins. And then... You've got three teams in the West, Arkansas State, Louisiana at five and four, and then South Alabama at four and five, who they're going to have to win out to get. Sorry, they don't have to win out. They are going to have to win two other games. But all of those teams are either bowl eligible, have the bowl, have the wins required to be bowl eligible or are a couple of wins away. And I mean, that is just absolutely insane. This conference is insane. I'll ruin the spoilers and like, I don't believe the waiver is going to get overturned by the NCAA or uh, allowed, whatever the decision won't be overturned. But James Madison is also going to play in a bowl game unless several teams like on the outskirts fortunes drastically improve. There are not going to be enough six win teams to fill the spots. And so probably both JMU and Jacksonville state who are in the same boat, if not getting the same national attention because they are not undefeated. They're both going to play in a bowl game. And so I think a lot of this will blow over. And while there will still be some people that are mad about not getting a chance potentially to play in the Sunbelt title game, and from there, the New Year's Six, I think some of it will soften because at the end of the day, I think James Madison would join that impressive number of teams that are going to be going to a bowl game for Georgia's, uh, for, for the Sunbelt. And yeah, I, there's a couple of them I don't really see. I mean, Old Dominion's going to have to pull off at least one outright road upset. And I don't know where they'd put the line for the Georgia State Old Dominion game, but it's possible depending on how fortunes improve for Georgia State. And certainly that's not a given. Uh, they could be a, a road underdog in that one too. And so you're talking about needing to win at least two games where you're an underdog, where you give them a little bit of you know, credit and a little bit of maybe they can pull it off is feel like they've lived in that zone for a few of these games that they've ended up winning. You know, they were an underdog to App State at home and they pulled out a seven point win there. Um, I don't remember where the line was when they were at Southern Miss, but it was like not, you know, looking at where those teams are now, you would probably have them as a favorite in Hattiesburg. And I, I if they were, it was very slight and they won that game. Uh, Wake Forest, they were up 17 points in that game and would, had to have been double-digit underdogs at home. So it's a spot for them this week against Liberty that it almost feels like the one they need to have because you get back into the corner where you're four and six and you have to go to Statesboro and get a win and then come back home and get another one. Like Finding a way to get this one would go a long way for them to get to six wins. Um, Marshall's going to have to just look like a different team. Like they have just they've hit a real rut and they've still got Georgia Southern at home this week. They play South Alabama and then they finish, I believe, with Arkansas State. Um, comfortably, even though I've got issues with South Alabama just not playing consistently, I would take every other team over them until proven otherwise. And I think it's an important time because, like, there was a lot of buzz about Charles Huff. His name's been coming up a lot, and I don't think the Huntington people are very happy right now because the team has lost five straight after what could have been the start to a pretty promising season starting out 4-0. Yeah, and I mean, I thought that when they got Rasheen Ali back, I know I don't think he missed a ton of time, but I think he has been kind of dinged up, and I think he missed the James Madison game um, and the Coastal game officially. I, I thought that they would just kind of go back to how they looked earlier in the season, Um but, I mean, the defense has been a lot of the problem for them lately, despite only allowing 20 to James Madison in that kind of weird Thursday game. So, I don't know. I, I think you're right that that team is going to have to completely change how they've been in order to reach bowl eligibility. Um, but then, I, you know, I sit here and say this, and in two weeks we might look up and they actually found a way to do it. So, that's how this conference has been. Well, this is the week for them, I think. Is for the same principle as like you don't want to get to four and six and have to win out to get there, but they play at home this week. I think they're two and a half point underdogs to Georgia Southern. So despite everything that's gone on, Vegas doesn't hate them in this spot. Like you'd have thought the team that hasn't scored ten points against a team in 
since they played Georgia State, uh, would have been a bigger underdog to a team that has got already bowl eligibility locked up. But something's up there. And this is kind of the prove it point for them because it's like, you got to show some fight. Like, even if they end up four and eight and just lose out the rest of the way, I think it's going to be mighty important for that staff and heading into the offseason, that team just in general, to feel like they're in some of these games, even if they lose some of them. Because it's like Georgia Southern playing well right now. There'd be no shame in losing to that team, even though it's a home game. But you got to score like 17 at least. Or really, you need to go back to scoring what you were doing earlier in the year. Find whatever has not been working on offense and get it going. And when you talk about them, you know, there isn't really any bad Sunbelt team. Southern Miss and ULM kind of, but even they are above where like the worst of the worst has been. And I think Southern Miss is a disappointing year, obviously for those fans, because they are coming off of bowl season and this year has been far below that expectation. And they really felt it was building. You could put them in the category of like overall disappointments. You can definitely put Marshall there. And even though they've got an okay slot to get to six wins, South Alabama, I think, is the most disappointing relative to expectations by a good bit because it really felt like they were poised to be the team that took down Troy in the West and they just haven't been able to find their footing at all. And they're at a point now where they're four and five. They've got Arkansas State at home this week. They uh, play Marshall and then they finish with Texas State. I think they can get the Marshall game for sure, but even though they're pretty heavy favorites in this game against Arkansas State this this weekend, I like the Red Wolves in this spot. I'm all in on six-win bowl team, Butch Jones' Jones's Arkansas State. It's felt like they finally got their guy with Jalen Rayner, and they've got to be feeling confident coming off of that win against Louisiana, beating them by 20. And if you're talking about this South Alabama team not even making a bowl, that would be just astoundingly below what even like the most median expectation for them was. And that has been the hardest thing to reckon with just as, as far as other teams go in this conference. It just, they brought a lot of guys back. It, it feels a little bit like 2022 Georgia state where they were poised for the next step. They were, they weren't even really dark horses. They were people's favorites to win the division and it just has fallen apart and they might end up with about the same yeah, four and eight record. Maybe they get to five and seven, but and maybe they get there. Maybe they win out. Maybe finally the, the South Alabama that has been promised will show up. But it's been long enough, and this is the point in the season where you kind of look and go, "You are who you your record says you are." You know, I yeah, it's it's very very interesting to watch some of these Sun Belt teams and just kind of see the permutations that this season has taken. I mean, there's still three games left for everybody. There's so much that could happen between now and a month from now. And like, obviously, Georgia State only has two conference games remaining. You know, some other teams have three conference games remaining. Um, I don't know, though. It's I'm very excited to see how the Sunbelt kind of shapes up because it's truthfully the good part. I don't want to say good. The interesting part about James Madison not being capable of winning the Sunbelt East, but also still being good, so they're still beating people, is that a lot of the rest of the teams in the conference have records that look, you know, they've gotten losses on their leisure, just and one team has it, and that has allowed some questions, and it's allowed some, you know, scrutiny that otherwise wouldn't be there if one team was capable of going to the championship game. It wouldn't be as much, I would say. And shout out the Bobcats. Uh, first part of it just you finally got there, six wins. Uh, GJ Kenny, immediate proof of concept with an offense that people were unsure how it would um, translate in year one. Clearly, it's worked and almost feels fitting that they got it in a game where they won by 21, scored 45. Honestly, from all indications from the people who are watching the game more intently, it wasn't even that close. Um, and to your point about the permutations, that's an important win as far as who wins the Sunbelt East because it, Georgia Southern still controls their destiny. If they win their remaining games, they are going to represent the East unless there's a waiver application overturn decision on James Madison. But they just lost their... They had a little bit of wiggle room. They had a loss they could take. 
and still be in this position, but they don't have that anymore. And so now they lose another one and they've got still a road game at App State, which a rivalry, like I mentioned, a, a weird spot in Huntington this weekend against Marshall and an old Dominion team that just seems to play everyone within a possession. Uh, it'll get even more interesting and friskier if Southern drops another one of these games. It'll really open it up because they've got the tiebreaker over Coastal and Georgia State. So them being tied in the standings with either of those teams will do them no good. State in particular needs them to drop at least two. So uh, Georgia State fans listen to this. Uh, you have to root against Georgia Southern uh, if you want any chance of winning the Sun Belt East. I know this will trouble you deeply, but I think you can persevere and get on with this goal as a secondary as you're watching these other games. All right, and now let's move on to talk about the Panthers' opponent this weekend, Appalachian State, coming to Center Park Stadium for a rare this year 2 p.m. kick on ESPN+. Uh, it's a tale of differing fortunes heading into Saturday for these two teams, as the Mountaineers enter winners of two straight over Southern Miss and Marshall, and as we are all well aware, Georgia State comes in on a two-game losing skid. History is uh, charitably not on the Panthers' side either, as they're 0-9 all-time against App State. On the season, the Mountaineers are 5-4 so far, led by former player and offensive line coach for the school, Sean Clark. Clark has a 31-17 record in three-plus seasons in charge. Gentlemen, thoughts on App State? So you just laid out some of it, but I'll reinforce it with my little preamble to this game. Um, Georgia State lost two straight heading to this one. The last one... They lost by 28 at home. Very, very bad vibes all around about that loss. Second half was a disappointing performance in its own right. Uh, 0-9 against this team. It's been the bugaboo of all bugaboos for this program. And you just beat the other one that had been that way with Louisiana earlier in the season. And as I talked about right at the end of that Sunbelt chatter, the, the odds are not great. I think ESPN FPI has them at like 8.1%, 8%, something like that to win the East. But Georgia State is still alive, if barely, in the Sunbelt East. They got to win out and get several bits of luck and, and several bits of help. So all of that being said, all of that on the table, there is really no reason this wouldn't be a game that they're really up for. Like this is a important game in a different way to the way the last two have. Like. Yes, you've got that division stuff creep in the background. Like it's there. Like you need to win this and you need to beat ODU to have any chance at it. But that's not really what this game is about. It's more about like you've said so what now what you got the t shirts. And this is the type of game where you really have to mean what the t shirts say because it's like if they aren't getting up for this one and if the season is flipped and if it's like, oh, lost to 2028. But to James Madison, we don't feel like we're very good right now. Going to lose this one, and I don't know which one on the schedule you'd have left that you're going to win. And there is still a lot in front of them that they can still achieve from this season. But this will be a very important and a very telling game as to what they're going to do about all that. Yeah, I mean, this is why you print the T-shirts, right? Like, if they come out flat in this game, and if they can, you know, continue to look sloppy like they have. Um, at different spurts in the last two games, then, you know, kind of all of that is for naught, right? Like, that's that's really why you have the, you know, the motivation. That's why you have, you know, the camaraderie. That's why you have those bonding in those community moments to get you through, you know, the adversity. I think coaches and players, they love talking about, oh, the adversity of the season or the game. And, you know, we came together. But, like, this is this is that moment that you really have. And, you know, I think the, the cynical uh, Georgia state sports enjoyer in me sees this as a game where, okay, app state is, you know, currently in the midst of another poor run for them. You know, they might finish with an above 500 record. They might get to, you know, at least be a stone's throw away from some of their goals. Um, they would have to, I mean, they'd have to win out. And I still don't think that them getting to uh, six and two would necessarily win them the Sun Belt, although they would have the tiebreaker over Georgia Southern. Um, yeah, no, if they went out, they'd probably have it, which is crazy to think after all that we've said this year 
on here and just other spots just being like, man, App State's really down. Like they're set up, you know, if you assume they could beat James Madison on the road, they're set up as well as anyone because they do have those final two games with um with James Madison, Georgia Southern. I think they'd need Coastal to lose somewhere, but Coastal's got to play James Madison too. So it's not that far fetched. And they're feeling good right now. Like they are coming off two straight wins. And I guess, again, to your cynical Georgia State sports enjoyer, they're coming in playing well. Georgia State's about as low as they've been all year. So I can understand that viewpoint. I guess we'll find out how much of that is true, how much we are seeing two teams heading in opposite directions. Or, and this is a real possibility, Georgia State played James Madison and Georgia Southern, both of whom are good football teams. Appalachian State played Southern Miss and Marshall, both of whom are at least mediocre football teams, if not a little worse than that. And you still, you know, you play the games you've got, and if they have found some new mojo, they can still come in and beat Georgia State. I'm not saying, like, it doesn't matter, but if Georgia State pulls out a victory on Saturday, there's at least a part of it that's going to have been, like, well, maybe we were overreading that, um, which as college football fans, sports fans, famously overread everything, so totally understandable. And that's actually where I was going with it, because I feel like... You know, in years past, I would just sit here and say, oh, they've never beat App State. Oh, you know, they're not playing well. It's just going to be another one of those years. And they very well could lose. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Georgia State is incapable of losing this game. Um, But I also want to caution reading too much into both how both teams played. I mean, you know, you hate to admit it. Georgia Southern's playing good football right now. They lost last week, but they have been playing good football. And it was on the road. And it was on the road. It was, uh, you know, last week was on the road. Georgia State couldn't find a way to beat them in Statesboro this year, and then they couldn't find a way to beat a very good James Madison team. I mean, you know, if if a couple of things were different, you know, we would easily be talking about James Madison being in a New York Six Bowl by this point. Um, at the same time, though, you know, I don't want to take away what App State has done against Southern Miss. I don't want to take away what App State did against Marshall. But I think the success that Southern Miss had for about 45 of those 60 minutes is something that Georgia State is capable of replicating. I think that the and the frustration that I personally have had with Georgia State in their three losses um, in Sunbelt play has been that they've stopped playing like a team that takes care of the football. They've stopped playing like a team who controls third downs. Not even, I think they've been good with the line of scrimmage. I wouldn't go so far as to say that they not, have control. Not so much as the game got longer against JMU, but. True. Um, I wouldn't say that they have been a team that has controlled the line of scrimmage in even their wins, but they've done well at the line of scrimmage. And I think to your point, like you just said, James Madison had no problems versus the Georgia State offensive line and their defensive line. Georgia Southern in that first half was owning Georgia State's offensive line. Um, And obviously Georgia State had to make some adjustments. So. I think that there is certainly an opportunity for Georgia State here to kind of get like, you know, remove the streak in this series. Just look at these two teams and how they've kind of constructed themselves this year. I really do think there is an opportunity for Georgia State to kind of get back to the stuff that they've been doing and get back to how they have been playing football lately. Because, I mean, this is an App State team. This is an App State defense that is getting completely run over on the ground. Like it's Which teams are running on a lot. Totally unfamiliar with the idea of App State not having an absolute stout run defense. I'd be shocked if they had been in the bottom below the top five in run defense since they joined the league. Maybe like six or seven on technicality, but like the point is like this is totally new. Completely new. They've given up over three hundred yards on the ground in two games this year. And then if you add if you take that number down to two hundred, you have to add two more games like that's that's not something that I think I have ever seen against an App State team since they've been at the Sun Belt. Yeah, I mean, they're giving up 195 a game, which is the bottom of the conference, 5.49 yards per carry. And it was better against Marshall. Uh, I think it was 109 they gave up this past Saturday, but Marshall's in a weird spot. So I I don't overread that too much because it might just be Marshall's offenses in the funk of all funks. Um. 
So part one that I talked about uh, earlier is just mentality. Like it's got to matter for the players and they got to kind of respond to like, we aren't that team that played last Saturday, but I don't mean to just say it is just a player thing. Cause the part two of it is like the coaches and especially the offensive staff have got to put together a better plan and a plan that resembles what was working earlier in the year, because the thing that I fear happened, and you kind of got allusions to this from Coach Elliott's remarks in the media conference on Monday, is I feel like they jumped a step where they were like, teams are going to start adjusting to what we're doing well, so let's mix it up. And I think especially the past game against James Madison, they were like, this is a really good defensive front. We don't want to run straight into it. That'd be silly. And they ran like, I don't, I didn't like chart it out a lot of off tackle and counter stuff instead of going to the base stuff in inside zone. And I, it didn't feel like they were having that many drop back passes or really passes at all. And it felt like a little bit of like, well, they're going to get after the quarterback. And so let's not put Darren in too much trouble and have too many of these dropbacks. And I think they got away in those two things from a lot of the secret sauce that had been cooking this offense when it was going well. And a little bit that goes back to Georgia Southern and a lot of it goes back to just the offense has to stay on the field. Like, you know, whether that's coaching, making the right call, whether that's Darren making the throw, whether that's the blocking being better. The defense was on the field for 42 minutes against James Madison. They played 77 snaps against Georgia Southern. And in that second quarter, you know, it was 11 minutes possession for Georgia Southern and you saw what happened and that's where the, the game got out of control. And so I think the thing we can say about this defense is this isn't a bad unit as far as like we've seen bad Georgia State defenses that no matter how well the offense was playing, they weren't going to give you a shot in the game. You know, like hello 2014, that defense had a lot of issues. I don't know that this is like the top of the conference defense type, you know, in the league of what you're talking about with Troy and what they do. But if the offense is able to give them anything and just keep on the field, sustain some drive, put up some points. I do think that this defense is de- at least good enough to keep you in this game on Saturday. If you do the same thing and you're getting run off the field after three plays every drive, then you might see another repeat and you might see more of like just the momentum and just the, the feeling on the sideline get zapped and you risk another game like you had on Saturday. And so I think it really starts with just collectively the offensive staff getting the team in the right spot and just getting back to what was working. Cause I know the obvious response would be, okay, well they've played better teams. And some of it certainly is that James Madison has a good defense, but it hasn't looked to my eyes like the same offense that we were seeing earlier in the year. And I think that it's a little bit of overthinking and I think you got to get back to brass tacks and, you know, spam some inside zone, work some deep shots, get some quick game to Robert Lewis and Tyleek Williams, and just let your playmakers go to work and put them in the right spots instead of really worrying about what the other team is going to do, what the defense is going to do. Because they had the defenses off center earlier in the year, and it was like, adjust to us. And it felt like the last couple of weeks, and especially against James Madison, they were doing some preemptive adjusting and I don't believe that strategy paid off. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing about Georgia state that I don't think we gave as much credit for is just how much that this football team relies on being a well-oiled machine. You know, the, defense is a lot better at pass rushing and run stopping when you know they know that the other team is not really looking to run and you know they know that they can kind of pin their ears back and just kind of get after quarterbacks and you know the secondary kind of plays up a little bit when they know that they're going to just be attested and you know they have to be aggressive in that way to respond and you know the offense is a little bit better because they know that they can move the ball and they have been able to move the ball and they know that the defense is going to give them some chances to get more possessions and more opportunities. And, you know, that's not something that has been happening a ton lately for Georgia state. I mean, they, they obviously got the pick in the James Madison game. Um, I just feel like the, 
in the turnovers gained has definitely kind of slowed down. They were getting multiple a game earlier in the year. They got two against Georgia Southern, obviously, uh, but that was their first time getting more than one in like four or five games at that point in time. So, you know, continuing to turn offenses over, get off the field as the defense, even if it's on third down, even if it's on, you know, fourth down stops or, you know, sacking them so they don't hit their field goals or, you know, whatever it is that we said the last couple of weeks. Those are all ways that help your football team win games. And, you know, it's, you know, we describe that as a crispness. That level of, you know, crispness just hasn't been there for Georgia State. Honestly, I'd say the last three weeks, like since the Marshall game. And so getting that back to how it was, you know, up until the second half of the Louisiana game is really going to be important for their chances here. Yeah. And I mean, I just put it back to the defense has been doing that more when they have been more well-rested and been able to stay off the field. And so I think that you can get back to that with the offense giving more of a shot because it is funny that of all the things Georgia State did win the turnover battle in this last game clearly did not have an impact in the way the game was going to progress but they did get a takeaway and did not commit any takeaways uh they just did a lot of other things that weren't so good on offense but you know it, it just goes back to getting the offense going and like I said 195 rushing yards 109th App State is in defensive success rate against the run, 38.3%. It feels like it's the most gettable App State team. I think because they're gettable in the way that Georgia State is going to try and move the ball on offense. And we did see this last year. It's easy to forget it because the game went totally haywire after. But Georgia State was up two scores early in Boone last year. And they were doing it by running the ball with a lot of success. And App State adjusted last year and made Darren do with his arm, and he wasn't able to. And I think it's a better version of Darren this year that is more capable of making the throws he's going to need to. Because I do think that, you know, to start, they're going to have the box pretty loaded because they know it's what Georgia State's going to want to do. But at a certain point, I do think it's going to pivot to they're going to have it to where they are daring Darren to make some throws that they don't think he can make. And especially the deep shots, I think he has taken steps that we've talked about. And there's other easier throws that you got to get back into his arsenal and got to get back on the play sheet. Uh, because I said like the middle screen to Tyleek, like there was one to the perimeter that was a, a bad throw and the, the cornerback had it read the whole way and it blown up for a loss. Get Tyreek in the middle of the field. Get him on a slant. You know, they've had a little bit of success with that, but they haven't gone to it as much. I just want to see a little bit more of that part of the passing game because it's going to open the running game up and it's going to possibly get you a situation where you can get some favorable stuff on the outside for Darren to take some shots. And I do think he's going to have to have his best game against this team, which he's never beaten. Obviously, no Georgia State quarterback has beaten, but he has played them three times. Uh, and lost all three of them, two times. And the, on the App State side, Joey Aguilar didn't start the year as the quarterback, but he's kind of taken that job. He's gotten comfortable, and it's it's almost going to be like we're talking about with this App State defense not being like what it was. It's not like they're not going to run the ball. They're definitely still going to run it, especially as healthy as Nate Noel is because he's been working his way back to that. And when he is going, he is as good as a running back as there is in this conference. And there's a ton of good running backs in this conference. So that's a compliment to the league and to what he provides. But I feel like they're going to try and pick on the secondary. Like, I do believe that they're going to look at the, the tape, they're going to look at the stats and say, we can drop back and throw 40 times and win this game. Or we can drop back and throw 30 times, but take some dialed up shots and hit guys downfield and find some open spots and some zones. It's a thing where it's like, ultimately, yes, if a guy is open in the middle, down the sideline, it's a coverage thing. But I feel like too often there have been pass rush and other reasons why you've had open receivers because if a guy gets beat on a double move and he's wide open down the sideline, it's a touchdown. That's a coverage issue. If 
it's a quick throw out to the flat that no one picks up the guy out of the backfield and he gets 30 yards down the field. That's a coverage issue. But if, you know, Jordan McLeod in this last game or Davis Brin against Georgia Southern or in this game with Joey Aguilar against App State, if he's got three to five seconds to sit back there and go through his reads, that's a pass rush issue. The, the coverage cannot hold up that long. And I just feel like you got to have another big sack day, like three or four plus. If you can put up a, a nasty number, obviously that'd be better. But I just think you got to get multiple sacks. You got to find them in opportune times where they were just getting brutalized on third down and they had James Madison in some favorable third down spots that they could not capitalize on. And they're going to have to get back to that. It was kind of, you know, hadn't been as bad since the Rhode Island game when that was happening, but it kind of reared its head again against uh, James Madison and cost them. And so if they're winning on first and second down again and getting into third and eights, third and tens, third and twelves, you know, whatever they've got to do to throw a different look at, Aguilar or just send the house or disguise and don't send the house, but make them think that blitz is coming from a certain area and you know make them check to a, a read that's on that side. If you've got a defender there, whatever it is, whatever Chad Staggs has got to dial up, you got to find something because it hasn't been working the last couple of games. You haven't been as effective. And I think that as much as anything you can place on the back end of things has been the issue. Yeah, you know, execution is the name of the game here, and it's just got it's got to be better. So, and like we say all this, like, like it's easy. Obviously, App State's going to want to win. Like they've got a chance to get to a bowl game. I just think it's going to come down to after all that we have gone through with all this, both sides of this game, just what Georgia State shows up because it's the one that's played most of this season. They got a really good chance, and they've got you know, a lot of reasons to be up for this game. If it's the one that was there in the second half against James Madison, then it's going to be an ugly pod when we talk about it next game, just because it's it's there's not going to be a lot of positives to take away because that team isn't going to beat App State or be competitive with App State. And I think it will make a lot of people skeptical of any kind of real turnaround that happened this year, even when the record will have improved no matter what if you're going through this stretch of three games and not able to put together, not even a win, but just a competitive, good game. So really, really important game that is going to kind of change to potentially could change the trajectory of the season in a bad way, or you do the double and you get a win over a team you haven't beaten for the second time this season. We've also got basketball to talk about, so let's go ahead and do that. Women's Hoops team got off to a winning start with a 78-41 win over Barry at the Convocation Center on Monday night, and the men dropped a tight but high-flying 89-87 affair to Belmont in Nashville. For the men, it was the same margin of defeat that the Panthers took when these teams met in Atlanta a year ago, but there was a different flavor to this year's loss as we saw offense, offense, offense from GSU as evidenced by the 87 points scored. That would have been the second most points tally for last year's squad. They led by as much as seven in the first half, but State could not hold on down the stretch, and Malik Dia hit two free throws with 6.5 seconds left to give the Bruins the win. Gentlemen, thoughts on that Belmont game? Uh, so I think editors do it on my own note. Um, against a D1 team, that would have been the second most. I believe they also scored 90-something against Tacoa Falls, but... Against Division One teams, the Coastal game that was a total aberration where they scored 100 and just couldn't miss from three, kind of the only game that looks anything like that. Because even the Mercer game where they scored 85 last year, it took overtime to get there. And it wasn't a game where like from the minute one, like it was up in Nashville, like, oh, this is a different offense entirely. You know, I think we didn't really know what they were going to look like as far as rotations, as far as like what even the style was necessarily going to be, because you know, we hadn't really seen them fully in action. And last year, obviously it was a pretty low tempo, keeping the score slow, keeping the game at your speed and not letting teams run out on you. And I think the most important thing to take away from this game is you know the shootings there. And it just looks like a fun brand of basketball that, you know, Belmont runs in the tempo constantly. They score in the 80s constantly. This isn't necessarily your parameter on the defensive end or like the game style game. You know, 
I think there's probably going to be teams if you're making your shots that aren't going to be able to keep up with that. And yes, it was a loss, but I didn't come away with a lot of negative thoughts from it because it, it felt like I was watching an old Georgia state team because Georgia state, when Ron Hunter was taking them in tournament constantly, didn't go undefeated in non-conference. They lost some good teams on the road in non-conference, but they were in those games and it felt like that again. Yeah, I mean, that last line honestly sums up my thoughts perfectly. The entire time I was watching it, I was waiting for a return of how last year felt. Just never came. It just never came. It looked good. It looked fluid. Even the periods of time where they weren't scoring still, you know, they were still moving the ball. It wasn't like the ball was, you know, kind of being dribbled a ton and you know it wasn't like they weren't at least putting up good shots guys were moving you know i thought that the guards looked good i thought that um you know we'll get into specific names of people who had great games and good games and stuff like that later but i thought that the big men were Go for it. fluid Go for um it. on offense um leslie I I liked how Leslie played. Obviously, he had a team high fourteen points, but you know, I really thought that he did very encouraging stuff down on the low block. And you know, I trust that the defense will get better. I think there were some times where um, guys were missing the rotation, or guys just weren't good enough to get back. Um, and I think that Belmont, being a good team, you know, we're capable, we're able to take advantage of that. That's going to happen, you know. Um, but I, the entire time I was watching this game, and Georgia State was obviously leading it for a lot of the game. But most of the time I was watching it, I was like, yeah, like this, this is those, you know, those teams that Georgia State has had that, you know, consistently go far in the Sunbelt tournament, consistently win the Sunbelt tournament. They, they played basketball like this. You know, maybe they had a couple of other things that, you know, went their way as it, as you need to win championships. But, you know, for the most part, they looked like this. So that, I mean, that's very encouraging out of game, officially game one. Yeah, and to the point about the guards, the depth is very clear and the depth is clearly something they're going to lean on because they're running pretty fast. You know, the tempo I don't think is caught up. They're still in the 100s uh, in Kempom's adjusted rating. They've gone up to like 117 now. I feel like if they keep playing like that all all season, they're definitely going to be a top 100 tempo team because they were flying. And yes, it caused some issues with transition defense and they got to fix that stuff no matter what because teams are going to notice that and try and beat them out in transition. But I also do think, like I alluded to earlier, Belmont is a little bit, I won't say uniquely poised, but they are among the teams that are comfortable running it like that. And they were able to get out and get some good shots because they are also a good transition tempo team. But the depth is important also because you know they shot seven of nineteen from three, which alone, like if they had shot thirty-seven percent from three in like five more games last year, they might have had five more wins. Like that, th- there were some of those games that were close where the thing you pointed to was like, oh, did the shooting was just dreadful tonight, and that they couldn't overcome that. But even with that number being good, seven of nineteen, thirty-seven percent good. You had Lucas Taylor go 0 for 2 from 3. You had Brendan Tucker only take one 3 and he missed it. You had Julian Mackey take three threes and miss all three. I don't think those guys are going to be 0% three-point shooters on the year. I think their clips are going to be decently better than that. And the point of it is, you've got so many more options to where it doesn't have to be Dewan and Brendan's night every night. Like, you had kind of a down night shooting, you know, from those guys, but you still shot well from three because you've got Jaden Turner, who I will admit I did not know was a three-point shooter. He did he must have hid that because I didn't see that in his numbers at Queens. Uh he looks good shooting it from three. And Dewan and him hit on a pick and pop that they also ran with Dewan and Jermaine to where if they're hitting that every time and they're making teams honor the shooter there. Dewan's gonna be dangerous in that spot because he's gonna have a lane to run down to get to the hoop. But Tenari Lane led the team with three threes, three of seven. Pretty good night. Uh, Jermaine Mann hit his only three on the night. Dewan hit one. It's wide open. Uh, It's the same form. It is what it is. But he got to work on that first one that he took. 
And Ricky Bradley played five minutes and didn't take a three, but he's another guy we've been led to believe is a pretty good three shooter based on his numbers at a VMI. And so I just named how many guys that you'd trust taking a three. And what was the number last year? A, a Colin Moore, like Brendan Tucker, kind of Jermaine Mann some of the time. And like, these are like kind of maybe sort of answers after Colin Moore. It's not like a confident answer for the other guys. And so that was the thing for me is it, it isn't just like you got this one guy who shoots threes, but if he has an off night, you're in the same hole. Like I don't, they're going to have nights where they shoot like the, the low thirties or in the twenties, like every team will have one of those nights where just no one shot is falling. But I think that the ceiling on the, or the, the floor on the three point percentage has been raised significantly because it feels less likely that you're just going to have no one making their shots from three. And as much as they're running it and taking these shots, it's the potential to where if you're hitting 40% in a game, you're dropping 100 on a team because of what you're doing with your offense, you know, down low, getting uh, Leslie involved, getting Jaden involved, and haven't talked about him yet. Yes, he had three fouls, but Edna Moko looked great. He looked incredibly confident by the hoop the offensive end, he had some good contests at the defensive end. He ended up with nine points and five rebounds on perfect four of four shooting. Yeah, I never get old of talking about the sophomore bump because it happens every single time, especially when you're talking about bigs in college basketball. Sophomore year, you always see more of the measure of what a guy is going to look like. And you've really, just in one game, not trying to overread it, but you saw that. And I think the important thing is he played... 14 minutes, I believe. And as long as Jaden and Leslie are cool, he's probably not going to get asked to play a ton more. He could probably earn more the more he plays like that. But the three fouls is the one negative, And it's like, it's what is going to keep him from getting real starters minutes is just that he picks up some silly fouls from time to time. But his role on this team, as it looks right now, they can live with it because they're not going to ask him to be a starter. They got Jaden and Leslie playing those roles. And if he's giving you what he gave you, against a good Belmont team. That is a, you know, a, the type of big off the bench. I can't remember Georgia state having in a while. My favorite bit in college basketball. And I feel like you see it with uh, bigs more than any other position. You get a guy who's young or a guy who's new to a system or, you know, whatever. And he comes in and you're like, wow, he's like, he's not playing well, but you can see it in spurts. And you just know, hey, this is a good basketball player. The game is just too fast for him right now. Just give it a moment. And then you come back the next season. You come back halfway through the season or whatever. And they just they light on fire because the game slows down. And like, honestly, that's what it looked like with Namoko on Monday night. Like it, it really looked like he was making the right decisions. It looked like he knew what he wanted to do and wasn't being that, you know, kind of hesitant guy that he was last year a bit. And that's, I mean, that is going to be really helpful. I still think Georgia state has some, uh, We'll call it kinks to work out with the bigs, um, specifically defensively, but this would be a great first step for them and their ability to, you know, have both the bigs and the guards be a very good unit for this basketball team. I will turn to kind of the the things to improve on part of it. Um, I think most glaringly this came up in the late half in the first half in the second half obviously George State had a lead in both that they let dwindle away I maybe saw a little bit more of what you were saying you didn't see with some bad shot selection it really manifested itself there late in the first half late in the second half Dewan Odom Lucas Taylor combined for 10 of 31 on field goals Lucas was 6 of 20 for 12 points and especially because we just talked about how many guys can score on this team and how many guys you trust with the ball. I just don't think you can take that many shots and not make, (laughs) but a third of them, like you got to keep it a little bit in check. And it's a situation where it's a good problem to have that late game. You had stretches where Lucas was like, I'm taking over. This is my spot. I'm going to the hoop here. And then you had moments where Dewan was doing it. 
and they had some success in those stretches. And I, I see the potential for both of them to be better than 10 of 31 collectively shooting the ball. But it felt a little bit like you had the too many cooks and guys were picking spots where they felt like they needed to take it over. And I think some stuff to work out uh, to the point where when Dia made those free throws to make it 89-87, the final shot ended up being Dewan pulling up from three with a couple seconds left. And I don't think anyone around the team would say that is like the best percentage look. So it's a case of making sure the guys got who needs the ball in the moment need um, has the ball and coach said after the game that it was drawn up or, or talked about to be him driving and that he called an audible and that's fine and obviously if he makes that shot it's an entirely different conversation and i don't begrudge him it because we've seen him in those moments make the right play and you know you you just at the end of the day have to trust your point guard to be making those calls it just feels like a little bit of stuff has to be worked out there between them about picking those spots and not getting impatient and not having someone go a little bit on tilt and force the issue because last year we saw Dewan do that because he had to. And I don't think that anyone has to do that on this team. It looks like there's the shooters. And if you drive into the hoop and there's not, you know, if there's bodies in the way, that means probably someone's open in a corner and find your way out and find the ball out and all that. I just think the one thing to work on with offense is, just those, because like you said, for most of the game, it was pretty good, but there were some moments, especially in those pivotal possessions late on, that you saw a little bit of a reversion to that. And you don't need to. Like, there's so many guys on this team that didn't score. You just, you don't need to play that type of game. You really don't. And obviously, they have another game coming up very quickly. Um, I think on Saturday at the time of this recording. So, um, it's it's good. I, I like the I liked what I saw in game one and I'm curious to see how it kind of improves as they, you know, continue to play together and continue to get guys and kind of solidify minutes and responsibilities. And last thing, because I just said some negative stuff about them. Fourteen to seven was the assist turnover ratio, especially how fast they're running and what they were doing. Seven turnovers is an absolute home run. And doing with so many different guys ball handling also is encouraging that you can trust a lot of these guys. And yeah, there are a couple of silly game one rustiness turnovers in there. But even despite that, you only had seven. And Dewan had six assists and had zero of those turnovers. And so if you're getting games like that from your main distributor, where he is just so valuing the ball, that does matter maybe more so than some of the stuff I was talking about earlier because the offense might should find water, so to say, and be pretty good, and the shots are going to start falling. I just think ultimately you still feel pretty comfortable with him as your main distributor there because he just showed you what he can do. And yeah, just the 14 to 7 jumps off the page to me, and that, as long as he keeps getting carried forward, is going to mean good things for this offense having a lot of success and the defense we'll see. This is not the game that I was going to judge the defense hardly on. Cause I knew Belmont was good and Tyson and Dia is a duo that they're not really going to face that many like as they go through their schedule. And so we'll see, like talk to me after Western Michigan, talk to me after the uh, mid season tournament. If the defense is still looking exactly like this and giving up 90 a game and then I'll have some concerns, but it's a new group. And clearly the offense has gelled pretty well, and that is going to account for a lot. All right. And up next for the men, like we mentioned, they head to Kalamazoo to face Western Michigan in game one of the Mac Sunbelt Challenge. Tip-off is Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, an hour before the football gets underway at Center Park Stadium. The women will also face the Broncos, but in Atlanta on Friday. That game gets underway at the Convocation Center at 6.30 p.m. The Broncos men's team will enter Saturday's clash 0-1 as well after losing 80-76 to North Dakota State on opening night in a game that went to overtime. Western Michigan is in a bit of a rut as a program as they have not eclipsed double-digit wins since the 2019-2020 season. They're 8-24 under second-year head coach Dwayne Stevens. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the Broncos? My first thoughts are... I'm going to be keeping track of this game, but going to have to circle back after the fact for the most part, because not a fan of the scheduling. This is the one time a year 
when there's a Saturday game, like I get it, you're going to play on the weekends because it's the best time to have games and have attendance, but come on. <laughs> this had to be at one when the football game's at two. Um, obviously, there's nothing George State could do about that because this was a road game, but unfortunate timing from a pure viewing it live standpoint, but we'll do our best to have it covered. Uh, I will be glued to that stab broadcast as much as I can be while also watching the football in front of my eyes at center park stadium. And, you know, I'll just be frank about this one. Like it feels like one you probably need to have like all the issues we talked about still outstanding and maybe still working it out, but you know, maybe they are better and maybe they get better as the season goes on. But you know, Ken Palm currently has this as Western Michigan team as the 318th team in the nation. Uh, they've been kind of that level of bad or worse the last couple of years. Uh, they gave North Dakota State a real challenge at home in their opener, took them to overtime, shot the ball really well. So from three, that'll be something that uh, Georgia State's going to have to get cleaned up because that was an issue against Belmont. But I just feel like if you lose this one, it's not the same conversation. It's like, well, you know, Belmont's a good team. Yes, it's on the road, uh, but this does feel like one you kind of got to get in the bag and turn the promising stuff you saw in game one into, okay, and we won. Because I feel like promising is an implied word in this early game where it's like, okay, they lost. Like, you don't say promising after a win. <laughs> you say it after a loss. And I don't want to talk about promising stuff after Saturday. Yeah. Um, oof. Must win cannot be said in game two of a basketball season. I recognize that. Probably should win this one, though. Um, Western, Western Michigan is having a time um, in the on-the-court sports. Um, and these challenges are fun. You know, these little conference intermingling challenges, tournaments, um, if they're actual tournaments. Um, they are certainly interesting to watch and follow the big ones, the small ones. Um, so it's I'm, while Western Michigan might not necessarily be a peer um, for where, you know, Georgia State has been in years past. Um, they did this one. <laughs> like you're playing Western Michigan because you were bad last year. Like I, I it say, up uh, by the net, like you can't thumb your nose at it too much because they did this based on where everyone fell in the net and you didn't fall very high in the net because it was a bad team last year. And so yeah, that was the second game is based on this year. So if things keep trending up, part two of the Mac challenge at home will be a, a more quality opponent. And, and saying that you can still lose this game. They haven't won a road game so far under Jonas Hayes, as I have been reminded every game uh, they play on the road, they don't win. It just feels like all that said, you got to take care of business and, this is a team that does not play as fast as Belmont. You know, they are, they've been in like the low 200s and the 300s in adjusted tempo every one of the last few seasons. So this does feel like a spot to me that if they're able to get that tempo working, if they're able to get some shots early, this shouldn't be a team that can keep up with you as scoring, especially if you can clean up some of the stuff more rudimentary on the defensive end. Certainly. And, you know, I think this is going to be a game where, you know, coach is going to play around with rotations a lot. Obviously, it's the early part of the season. You don't see coaches really solidify their guys until you get to Sunbelt play. Uh, but like you mentioned when we were talking about the Belmont game, there is so much depth here um, that it's going to present an opportunity for those rotations to still be pretty deep rotations. So it's it definitely should be a good game, at least. Georgia State should, you know, find a way to take care of business. Um but yeah, definitely, definitely one that you want to have just to further prove that you shouldn't be. This is not the standard of basketball that Georgia State likes to play. Um, this being the basketball that they played in 2022, 2023. All right. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. But of course, before we let you go, we do have to talk about everything happening in Georgia State athletics this week. And it's a little bit of a light one. Now, men's soccer season ended uh, with a loss to West Virginia in the Sun Belt Tournament earlier this week. So on a Thursday, the only thing that we have going on is volleyball at ULM in Monroe, Louisiana. That match will be at 7 p.m. and you can watch on ESPN+. Moving on to Friday, 
Volleyball plays at ULM again at 3 p.m., also on ESPN+. And like we mentioned earlier, women's basketball will be hosting Western Michigan in the Convocation Center for the Sunbelt MAC Challenge at 6.30 p.m. And you can catch that game on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday, men's basketball travels to Kalamazoo for the Sunbelt MAC Challenge against Western Michigan at 1. You can watch that game on ESPN+. And then in Center Park Stadium, football senior day versus Appalachian State at 2 p.m., you can watch that one on ESPN Plus and listen live to WRSFM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. Then moving on to Tuesday, women's basketball hosts Kennesaw State in the Convocation Center at 6.30. You can watch that on ESPN Plus. And then on Wednesday, volleyball heads to Foley, Alabama for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. But that's all we've got. We'll see you Saturday at Center Park Stadium for the last home football game of the year. And until then, have a great week and go Panthers.